Thank you, Matthew. If you've uh, been with us before, uh, one of the things that uh, that we do as a church is we, we go through whole books at a time. So preaching series will take us through a particular book of the Bible. Uh, and we have been going through Luke's Gospel um, not quite a year yet. We're actually nearing its close, and and we're actually going to skip a little bit ahead in Luke since we are uh, partaking the Lord's Supper today. I wanted to to look at the passage uh, where this meal comes from. We commonly call it the Last Supper. It's Jesus' last, uh, really the last meal Jesus has with His friends. Uh, and and before I forget, I would love for you to join us for our Passover Seder on April the 8th. That's a Wednesday. Uh, and if you don't know what a Passover Seder is, that's basically the meal that Jews still observe today. It's the Passover meal that Jews still observe uh, even to this day. And what we do here, because we're not a Jewish synagogue, what we do here is we have somebody come and walk us through that meal, all the different parts, all the different food that's on the table, and then show us how that meal connects to what Jesus would do. So it's taking a a feast, a festival from the Old Testament, and showing us how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, So if you've never been a part of something like that, we invite you to come join us. We'll actually have a a potluck supper in the Fellowship Hall at 5.30, uh, and then the Passover Seder part will begin in here at 6. So I hope you'll uh, make plans to join Join us on April the 8th. Let's, uh, let's give our attention to Luke 22. I'm going to read verses 1 through 23. And now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers about how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who is going to do this. This is God's Word. Like Him, it is good and perfect, and it gives us life. And so let's ask for His help as we look at it this morning. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, Lord, would you, open, uh, would you open our eyes, and would You open our ears, and would You soften our hearts? Help us to understand what these words mean. Help me to communicate clearly. And Holy Spirit, we pray that Your words would come with power to our hearts, even as we hear them. Lord, would You transform us from the inside out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to kind of set the scene for you, we've been in the last week of Jesus' life, uh, and this is Thursday. Um, Thursday, uh, and you can tell that the storm is gathering, uh, that the net is beginning to close on Jesus. And Luke tells us that uh, the Passover is drawing near, that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is at hand. So all of that uh, means this. The, the Passover, you had, you had the High Holy Day of the Jewish year, which was the Passover. Uh, and then the week that followed the Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, and so this was... Uh, if not the high feast of the Jewish year, certainly one of the highest. This was, uh, this was a high holy week in Jewish culture. Still is uh, for those who practiced it. And there's a lot of irony in those opening verses that here we have the high holy day of the Jewish calendar and the highest and holiest people in Jewish society are plotting murder. And so as we, as we look at this passage, I'm just going to break it down under two points again. First, I want to look at uh, crooked hearts that are bent on cheap substitutes. Uh, and then we're going to look at the supper and we're going to talk about the lamb to end all lambs. But first, let's talk about these, uh, these crooked hearts that are bent on cheap substitutes. Uh, one theologian uh, said it accurately. He said, we need to remember that it is the church that crucified Jesus. The very people who are plotting Jesus' death are the people that you would least expect. Right, and what we, what we learn here from these opening verses is that a good religious profession can mask a very evil heart. A good religious profession can mask a very evil heart. We see it in the case of these high priests. They are the ones who were in charge. They are the ones who would be doing the sacrificing. How in the world they found time to plot murder during the busiest week of their year, I have no idea. But at any rate, they are. 
They are plotting Jesus' murder. And we see that the reason that they are, their motive, is that they fear the people. Now this is at least the third time that that's been repeated in this section of Luke. That these religious leaders, that their, their driving motivation is that they are afraid of popular opinion. Now here's what, here's what you should expect to read about them. Uh, you should expect to read that they feared God. That's who they should fear. But no, these men don't fear God, they fear the people. They fear the crowd. They, they love the approval of the people. They love the influence that they can wield over people. And so when Jesus comes threatening that influence and they begin losing that approval, they want Jesus out of the way. They want Jesus dead. Uh, if, you want to, if you want a good way to diagnose if something has your heart other than God, uh, all you need to do is ask the question, um, when that thing is taken away, how do I respond? If you want to know what it is that your heart clings to most dearly, just, just see how you respond when that thing is threatened or that thing is taken away. Then you'll know that something other than God has captured your heart. And we can see in the case of these high priests that fear of man has captured their hearts. They love the approval of people rather than God. And that leads them to do something even as crazy as plot murder during the most religious day of the year. Their hearts are not the only crooked ones. We also have Judas... One of Jesus' own, one of his closest twelve friends. We even have Judas reclining at the table with Jesus. We've talked about this before, but this just kind of gives you an idea of how intimate a setting a meal was in Jewish culture. There weren't tables and chairs. You didn't sit down to the meal around the table. Uh, The meal was actually placed uh, on the floor, maybe on on a raised cushion on the floor, and then everyone reclined on an elbow and leaned into the table kind of with their legs at an angle behind them, uh, and that's how you would eat, right? Uh, Reclining at table. That's why our Bibles uh, translate it that way. And now that's a very intimate setting, all of these friends uh, laying around the table together. Uh, We're told in John's Gospel that John actually at one point lays his head back on Jesus' chest. That tells you how close they were. Uh, Judas is at that table reclining with them. And not many hours before, that same Judas was conspiring with Jesus' enemies to betray him. telling them that he would, he would find a good opportunity where Jesus was not surrounded by people so that he could be arrested uh, without public interference. What about his motive? What would, what would lead one of Jesus' inner circle to betray uh, his master and friend? And we're told that it was the love of money. Um, it's interesting. John's Gospel actually tells us more about this. And yet every single Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all make the point that Judas was paid for his service. 
that what it took was 30 pieces of silver. A lot of money uh, in Judas's day, in Jesus' day, uh, but it was money that called Judas away from Jesus. And so he loved money more than God. So you see both of these, you see Judas, you see the high priest, both have crooked hearts. And both are, are crooked hearts bent around cheap substitutes for God. Whether that's love of people or love of money, an, an undue love of people, we would say fear of people. I think Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament says it best. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. That word deceitful there uh, is literally crooked. The heart is crooked above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? And what we see is lots of sick hearts, crooked hearts conspiring together. Two idols uh, are at work here, the fear of man and the love of money. And it's interesting how often the Bible mentions these twin sisters together, these deceptive twin sisters. What, what is it about them that is so captivating to our hearts? On the one hand, fear of people, uh, it's intoxicating, isn't it, to have people like you? It's intoxicating, uh, comforting to have people pat you on the back to tell you what a great person you are. Uh, it's intoxicating to be able to wield influence, to be in public places, uh, to be smiled at. Uh, these, are, these are things that warm us. And yet if we're not careful, uh, it, is a, it is an intoxicating love that draws us away from the Lord. So that when someone threatens it, we respond with threats and murder. On the other hand, there's the love of money. What is it about money? Well, money also provides comfort, does it not? Uh, We think that if we just have a little bit more, we will be isolated from all of the world's troubles. That if we just, just a little bit more... Uh, just to give you an idea of, of how perilous uh, it is to trust in this, I, am, uh, I was listening earlier this week, so you, if you didn't know it, the, the stock market uh, has been in free fall this week. Um, it's called a correction, which is such a nice word for losing lots of money. But, uh, and the stock market is in free fall. Do you know why? Fear of the coronavirus. And so I was listening to, uh, um, to a news story and, and someone asked a, a day trader on the stock market or somebody who works at the stock market, they asked him, what are you, you going to do to fix the stock market today? And he said, well, probably what I would do to fix the stock market is to tell people to turn their TVs off for 24 hours. Right? Isn't it interesting that the very engine on which our economy is built is so adversely affected by runaway fear? That should tell us how perilous our trust in money is. And yet, it's tangible. We can touch it. We can see it. We're not told why Judas loved money. We just know that it led him to do a terrible, terrible thing. And so we need ourselves to watch out for cheap substitutes. Our own, it's not just their hearts that are crooked and desperately sick. It's 
our hearts. Our hearts that get bent, that get wrapped around the axle of people's approval. That get wrapped around the axle of wealth and material thing. Uh, In fact, the reason that these are so deceptive is because they function as God's substitutes. What What I'm doing is I'm putting those things in place of God Himself. That I'm allowing the approval of others to speak more to me than God's own approval of me in Jesus. Or I'm allowing money to be my comfort and influence rather than trusting that God will take care of me. And so we, we grab both of these things and cling to them so that we will not have to cling to God. That's what the high priest, that's what Judas is doing. And what we find in the case of both is that they don't last very long. I hate treadmills. Um, I like running. Uh, before I, before my, uh, I hurt my knee, I like running, but I hate running on treadmills. Uh, and I love uh, our local YMCA, big, big fan of the YMCA, but, uh, but they have the worst treadmill set up on the planet. Right? All, all of the treadmill, and it's the way they have to set them up, okay? I've already talked with the director. It's, like, it's the way it's supposed to be, okay? Um, they're set up this way because if, if they're not set up this way and you fall off the treadmill, you'll slam into a wall. They don't like that. It's not a good thing. So um, if you fall off the treadmill, they want you going out into the room, not up against a wall. All right. I digress. So, so the treadmills are lined up facing a wall. And that wall has a mirror on it. So not only do I have to run in place, which is terrible already, right? The fact that I have to run in place and the scenery never changes, right? That's bad enough. But now I have to run in place and the scenery never changes and all I stare at is myself. Oh, right? It's the worst workout ever. Uh, and yet, that's exactly... When, when we substitute uh, the fear of man or the love of money for God, we are putting ourselves on a treadmill, because it's never enough. Right? You're, you're never going anywhere. How many likes and shares does it take? Right? It resets every day. How much money does it take? There's never enough. Right? Both of, both of those idols constantly tell our hearts, never enough, never enough, never enough. And so they are cheap substitutes. They don't, they don't satisfy our hearts. They only cause our hearts to long for more. But even behind this, something more sinister is at work. If you look in verse 3, it says that Satan entered into Judas. Luke doesn't describe how that happens, what that even means. Uh, but we but we see that something far more uh, uh, there is that behind the greedy plots of a few men there is supernatural evil at work that what is going on here isn't just about politics and money there is a war raging a cosmic war and a major battle is brewing a showdown is about to be forced and so Behind crooked hearts bent on cheap substitutes is the prince of evil himself uh, moving towards Jesus. And so it's interesting that in the midst of all of that, 
in the midst of that gathering storm, we see Jesus sitting down to dinner. Sitting down to his last dinner. If we were going to be properly southern, we would call it supper. Dinner is the midday meal. So let's look at the lamb to end all lambs. This is no ordinary supper that Jesus is having. This is the Passover. And just to tell you a little bit about the Passover, uh, the Passover marked a high point of Jewish history. You find its institution, its beginning, all the way back in Exodus 12. About a thousand years before Jesus, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God comes to rescue them. And when God comes to rescue them, He uses several plagues to break the power of Pharaoh uh, so that His people can be set free. And the last plague, the worst plague, is the death of the firstborn. Where God issues His final judgment... Uh, the, the sword of God's justice will fall on the firstborn. And what's most compelling about this is it, it, it will fall indiscriminately. Jew and Egyptian, rich, poor, slave, king, doesn't matter. That God's judgment is coming in the death of the firstborn. And so the only way to escape this justice, the only way to escape God's judgment, was uh, to take a spotless lamb uh, and to sacrifice it and to paint its blood on the door of your home, on the door frame of your house. Uh, And then there was a meal uh, that you would go inside and you would eat the meal as God had prescribed it. Uh, And so if you did this then God's judgment would pass over your family. So you see the name there. God's judgment passed over everyone covered by the blood of the Lamb. Everyone who took shelter under the Lamb was passed over by God's judgment. The the Lamb becomes the substitute. The lamb receives the blow so that you don't have to. That's, what, that's what's happening at Passover, and it works. Um, Pharaoh's will and power are broken, and the Israelites are set free. And so every year, they would celebrate this moment. Every year, at the same time every year, they would celebrate the Passover to remember what God had done. To remember that God had saved them from a power too strong for them. That they were slaves and God liberated them through the death of a lamb. Every year. Every family would gather. Thousands of people would come to Jerusalem and remember. And so, Jesus the faithful Jewish man that he is, also celebrates the Passover. And he celebrates it with his friends. And I want you to notice a few things about how they celebrate this meal together. First, I want you to see Jesus' heart. As he begins the meal, he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. In other words, Jesus says, I really wanted to share this last meal with you. I really want... To be here. 
Jesus is very... It's not because Jesus is unaware. It's not because uh, Jesus doesn't know what's happening. We even see that Jesus knows that one of the people at the table with him is the betrayer. Jesus knows exactly what's coming. And yet, in spite of that, even maybe because of it, he's been longing for this meal. He says, I've been looking forward to being with you and sharing this meal with you before I supper. See Jesus' heart. Also, I want you to see the future. Jesus, as he, uh, so the, the Passover meal had four cups of wine. Um, and each one of them were symbolic. Uh, the first cup that, G, that, uh, that Luke mentions is probably the second cup in the meal. Uh, and when Jesus passes it around, he says, I will not drink this cup again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says, I, said, I've, he says, I, I, I want to eat this supper with you. I will not eat it again until we feast together in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, this last meal is just a foretaste of what is to come. This, this last Passover is just a foretaste of what we will enjoy together. Uh, this, is, this is just an appetizer for what is to come. And he's referring to what Revelation 19 calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. When all of God's people are gathered, when sin and death are no more, Jesus is saying that suffering will not have the last word. Uh, That one day, someday, we will gather around the table again. And it will be good. And we will eat and we will drink together. And it will be glorious. Suffering does not have the last word. even, Even because Jesus goes to suffer. Jesus suffers... Jesus suffers so that there will be no more suffering. So that there will be a feast on that last day. I also want you to see how Jesus changes the meal. See, the the Passover, and we're going to see this on April the 8th, the Passover has a script. Right? There's a certain order in which the elements are taken. And, and usually the father of the family uh, would, would walk the family through each one of those. Right? There, was, there was some reading and there was some dialogue back and forth as they took the meal together. Well, it's interesting. Jesus changes the script. Because He's Jesus and He can do that. Jesus, Jesus changes the script, right? So, so when the bread comes up, something like, uh, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. That would be the line that the Father would say. But instead of saying that, Jesus says, this bread is my body given for you. He changes the meaning. He says, this bread is no longer the bread of your affliction in the wilderness. This bread is my affliction given for you. I sacrifice my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's what we're going to do this morning when we take the bread. We're remembering the body of the Lord Jesus given for us. We're remembering that in place of our bodies... Underneath God's wrath, Jesus has placed His own body. And instead we... And and Jesus says, right, take it. Eat it. You have to... A meal doesn't do you any good if it remains outside of you. 
You can be seated at the best table on the planet. You can be seated in front of the most sumptuous feast and still go hungry. You have to eat the meal. Jesus says, this bread is my body. He also says something else. When the third cup that comes after the meal, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, Zach read it for us from Jeremiah 31. I want to unpack that a little bit. A covenant is a relationship. A covenant is a relationship built on promises um, that are made and kept. And what Zach read for us showed us that Israel had broken God's covenant time and again. God says through Jeremiah, I'm making a new covenant, not like the old one that you broke. Right? The old covenant was broken in pieces on the ground. So God says, you know what, I'm going to make a new one, a new covenant. And so what's really shocking about what Jesus says is He's saying, that day, right now, I am making the new covenant. See, when you made a covenant with someone, there was usually a sacrifice involved. And and what that meant was, what you were saying when you made a covenant and you cut a sacrifice, is you were saying that if I don't keep my end of the bargain, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, may I be like this animal. May my blood be spilled like this animal. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to make a new covenant and I'm going to spill my own blood to do it. You've broken the covenant repeatedly. So I'm going to make a new one that can't be broken because my blood will guarantee it. Jesus says this cup is the new covenant in my blood, secured by my blood. Take and drink. The last thing I want you to see is I want you to see what's missing. Every Passover meal had wine. Every Passover meal had bread. And yet something is missing from Jesus' table. It's the lamb. The main course of the meal. The reason they would have been gathered doesn't even get mentioned. As one pastor says, the, the, reason, the reason you don't hear about the lamb, the reason the lamb isn't on the table is because the lamb is at the table. Jesus is replacing the Passover lamb. No more Passover lambs will matter after this point. Jesus is the Lamb to end all lambs. He's the Lamb to end all lambs. He is our our true substitute. He has come to take our place once and for all. Pastor uh, Tim Keller tells a story uh, about a National Geographic magazine he read, article he'd read, and it was about a a fire, a a wildfire that had raged in Yellowstone. And after the fire was over, uh, a couple of park rangers were making their way through surveying the damage, and they came across a a little bird. Uh, And it had been petrified by the fire. So just encased, it's black and charred, but still in the shape of a bird. And so the, the ranger, uh, in his disgust, just kind of kicked the, 
kicked the bird over and the, and the ashes just fall, fell apart. And out of those ashes, little chicks scurried away. That mother bird had sheltered her young under her wings while she embraced the full force of that fire. She had substituted herself for them and in so doing had saved them. Friend, that's what Jesus has come to do in being our Passover lamb. For everyone who shelters underneath his wings, you are full and free. At the end of the the Passover, they would all, there was a there's a line in the Passover script about why uh, why where the, one, of the, one of the children asked the father, "Why do we do this?" And the dad would say, "Because we were slaves in Egypt, and God came and rescued us, and He set us free." Well, for everyone who comes to Jesus, the line is the same: "Why do we do this?" Because I was a slave to sin and death. And God came and He gave Himself so that I could be set free. Friend, that's the offer of the Gospel. I pray that you would trust it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your atoning sacrifice. We thank You that for all those who shelter under Your wings, there is life forevermore. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the bread and the cup that we're about to receive. And we pray, Lord, that You would take these common elements, simple bread, simple juice, but that You would remind us of what You have done through them. That we would remember as we take the bread and drink the cup, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. And just, Lord, as You have fed us by Your Word, we pray that You would feed us spiritually by these means as well. We pray it in the matchless name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.